On this episode of BeelerCast, I talked to Jake from Autogent, and I wind up leaving the burning question to the very end, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, we never got to answer it. I'm sure all of you are wondering our opinions on whether Fassbinder or Herzog is the better German director. You know what? We did, in fact, have an amazing conversation, though. We talked a little bit about 2024. We talked about first-party data strategies, and, well, we covered a lot of ground. Why am I sitting there buying time? It's time to dive into it. Welcome to BeelerCast. Jake, welcome to BeelerCast. I have a question for you uh, and something that kind of came up. So you and I had a chance to see each other in Cannes multiple times, you know, walking the walking the crusette back and forth. Probably saw you maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 times. But one of the things that happened, uh, we were at a dinner and we were sitting next to someone that makes documentaries and suddenly this whole side of you jake that i never knew truly existed about your background in film and indie film and all this stuff kind of came pouring out because well you weren't talking as a novice you were talking about someone who knows what they're talking about so i gotta i gotta hear the jake origin story and your background in film and then Let's 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 figure out what your segue was to getting into into what you do now. Awesome. Well, Rob, first, thanks. It's great to be here. I always enjoy talking to you, whether it's ten times for a minute or or one time for half an hour. Uh, it's always equally entertaining and enlightening, and I learn a lot. So, uh, thanks for letting me talk to you today. When it comes to my background, yeah, that was a pretty funny dinner where we were sitting there and all of a sudden we were talking films with uh, somebody who was trying to get into the into the business in an interesting way. Yeah, I spent 20 years as a film producer before getting uh, over to Autogent and um, that was my passion and, you know, commercials, music videos, and then, you know, a number of years in feature films as well. And so, you know, I've produced 10, 12 feature films. Um, but interestingly, all from the independent side, which is in some ways what's connected to, to the world I'm in today, which is that it was always about supporting content creators, you know, back, back at, uh, actually the company was called Indigent, interestingly enough, uh, now we're with Autogent, but it was called Indigent, um, independent digital entertainment. And um, we were working with really high profile filmmakers, helping them really learn about how to work in digital as digital was coming online and, and how to work outside of the system. And so the connection to Autogen today happened through five years at the Hearst Corporation, where I was on the content creation side, but was there from 2012 to 2017 through the transition of like the earliest days of digital publishing. And I was so lucky because I got to sit in the offices of, you know, David Granger and Joanna Coles and Nina Garcia, you know, these like storied editors of these magazines like Esquire and, and um, Cosmopolitan Magazine. And, you know, these people were telling me about the frustrations and the struggles of moving into this world. And it kind of opened my eyes to what was happening in publishing as well as big tech uh, was already, you know, the walled gardens were really already very dominant players. And it just kind of got me interested in, well, how do these content creators need to be supported as well as uh, the independent film world where, where I came from? Well, that's part of the the message again. And by the way, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my head wanting to ask you questions about your favorite cinematographer and whatever, because I, I, I went to school for film as well. And, you know, my path was not direct, you know, film, a film degree does not get you uh, any any cred in the ad ops, ad tech world in any way, shape or form, right? We all, we all are on our individual journeys and whatever. 
Um, but you know, I worked early days on the internet movie database before there was the internet. And I just didn't realize that that could have been a thing. Uh, yeah. But I want to, I want at some point talk about indie films and stuff like that. But I do think there's a correlation to what you just said that I have always kind of felt with our positioning since I, since you and I started talking, because you've always kind of said a little bit of like an outsider's view into ad tech, right? Like to your point, like maybe you're more of the, uh, you know, you and audit is more of an indie type of company than just being something that's kind of part of the the machine. And I'd love for you to, I mean, first of all, if you agree, and as well as just kind of maybe kind of expand on that kind of, is that how you see yourself? Um, you know, now almost seven years in, I, it's hard to maybe consider myself an outsider, but certainly from, from the origins, um, no doubt. I mean, there was a lot that I had to learn, but I think fundamentally, you know, Drew Stein, who was the founder of uh, co-founder of Audigen, who who had initially gotten in touch, who I'd known for years and years and years, um, was enamored by that. You know, like the the foundation of being in the content creation space and always uh, having an eye toward audience, always having an eye toward how to achieve through the challenges of different ecosystems and different structures that have been set up, not always in the best interests of all of the creators. Like, how could we how could we do that here? So I think that that outsider perspective has really helped. Sometimes it's like too dumb or too naive to know just how hard the things you're battling against really are. I think sometimes that's actually really helpful. Um, and then uh, other times it's it's just great because there are there's tons of insiders at the company as well. So there's lots of ways that I learn about, oh, here's what was happening in the early 2000s and here's why that's super relevant today so like those things are important i love to learn from the the ogs um but sometimes i just have that crazy harebrained scheme that someone says oh well we actually haven't tried it that way so i think it is interesting to and and we're entering a totally new universe right like the things that we knew from 10 15 years ago barely recognizable today and certainly aren't the strategies or technologies that are going to get us to the next place so i in some ways i benefit from an industry that's moving so fast that it's not like it's not like the film business where like, are we still shooting on 35 millimeter film? Well, like some people do. Um, so like there's there's some real um, um, entrenched interests in both of these businesses, but ours is moving so fast that it's almost like unrecognizable. Well, one of the things I enjoy about your, your approach to that, and you might call it naive or dumb questions, right? Is we are definitely an industry um, and I'm calling us all out that listen to this podcast and I'm calling myself out at times as well of just, sometimes just shaking your head and nodding and going like, yeah, I understand the difference between CTV and OTT. Yeah, mm -hmm, I get it. And you don't, you know, and, and, and there's a part of it where I, again, I've seen you several times um, at, at multiple places where you just kind of ask, ask the most direct question. And I really sometimes enjoy that as suddenly someone who's learned to speak suddenly has to actually answer the question because again, we, 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 we allow for a lot of bullshit. And I think that there's a part of that that I think is part of it. Just sitting there going like, I'm sorry, why are we doing this? And I, I really kind of enjoy when you when you pull that. It's, just, it's like, that's that's like my part for you at our events is to sometimes be that person. Can we just stop for a second? I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. The, the, the thing that, the, you know, the tracks, you know, the, the train's coming off the tracks right now to yes. get back to reality. 
at the dinner table, it's not necessarily always as awesome, but it, it, has, <laughs> it, has, it has an appropriate place at your events, which is which is probably where where it's best served. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think... mean, you know, just just to give like case in point, the the call I was on just before uh, talking to you right now uh, with a with a large company in this ecosystem that like we're talking about like how do we move to the next place and the contracts we have with them are like very onerous and and they don't really fit with how we do business and i just asked the question of like how do we do this totally differently like i see how your company is set up today i see how you charge i see how that doesn't work for us how can we think bigger how can we say we can be in business together but like transactionally it's not going to work how do we think larger about an enterprise relationship where we can do business together in a way where we both win but not in the ways where we were like nickeling and diming over cpms from like 2018, but like actually seeing how through interoperability or ease of use, like how do we both benefit from that? So I think there's ways to, I'm lucky enough to have a senior position so I can talk to senior people at other companies and say, hey, yes, I know business has been done this way, but how do we rethink that? How do we say like, this is how we'll win in the future? Because um, yes, I'm that guy that will say, because this way isn't going to work. Like we won't be in business in two years if we keep doing it this way. Which is a reason I think I'd like to kind of dive into um, Autogen, your offerings and so forth. And and the reason I say that off of what you just said is there's a another part of the thing. Again, there's a lot of head nodding, but there's also putting companies into buckets. It's like, oh, well, you guys are a DMP, right? And with all of that and that person saying it, you don't know whether they just added all the other baggage that comes along with that or whether there's actually just you like, great, you're a little bit closer. Now let me get to the next line. Right. That, that's always a, a piece of this. And, you know, that was the thing again, when, when we first spoke about what Autogen does, I mean, I, I definitely had some, I got to think about that. I got to understand that particular piece uh, of how that's different where you're coming from, how it's going to benefit me and so forth. And so um, I look at this way, you and I have talked about this for some time. I'm sure you've got even this further down. Um, but like, talk to me a little bit about what Autogen does and, and some of the pieces of that so that, again, you're not just bucketed in one group, but you really kind of talk about all the things that you do. Uh, great setup. Thanks. Uh, and I'm glad that most people don't think of us as a DMP because I think that's a really challenged part of the business right now. So in some ways, I think we benefit from being known by by more than that now. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we consider ourselves the leading data activation, curation and identity platform. I can break that down more. But like essentially what we've gotten really good at over seven years is really sitting in the middle between buyers and sellers. So sitting between the publishers and the advertisers and really helping them talk to each other much better because publishers have amazing data and amazing audiences often have really struggled to translate that into like economic terms and into products for for the buy side um and and equally true the buy side has often tripped over themselves over like what do they really want what are they really trying to target what are the products they really need what are the kpis they're trying to achieve and so um who knew that that's where we'd end up, but like that's been a really good place for us. And, and we've done it through a combination of not just demand generation, but technology as well. So like we've really busted our butts. I mean, it's still a business. What's great is like, even after seven years, 
it's one where like if you're hungrier and you want it really badly like this is you know the, the dogs that are chasing the, the bones are like you know the ones that are that are running fast so um i can break it down more but like essentially that's where we've 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 found our spot most of our business is really on the buy side in a lot of ways because you need sellers in market and you need to really train the buy side as to like what's valuable and how things are evolving and how the business is changing and then we have a smaller but really important team on the pub side, um, where we're seven years in, still talking about the value of first party data, which wasn't particularly sexy in 2016, 2017. Um, but now it's become super important. And I think the biggest differentiator from the DMPs of the space is that we're a demand driver. Like everything we do is about making sure that our products don't just deliver insights to a publisher, but we actually do the work of driving demand. We make sure that these products actually have value for the publisher because it's incredibly hard to drive value from first party data without a ton of know-how. A lot of publishers are super challenged in terms of resources that are available. So, you know, that's the work we've done to say, hey, there's a lot we can do together. This is not just us throwing a product at you. Which I, so let's talk about that for a second, because I think that that's one of the things that, you know, publishers um, do have to sit there and think about the, the various strategies around data, right? So again, first party data, great. Um, again, the, the phrase way back in the day, you're sitting on a gold mine. Um, and of course, you don't know what to do with it. There's some aspects of some people are looking at this in terms of targeting, they're looking at other pieces, right? But like, since you're out actually talking to, to buyers, is there something that, again, you'd like to see more publishers understand in terms of when it comes to actually buyers buying publisher first party data that either is a best practice or something that they just, if more of them did this, there'd be more movement. And maybe that's adopt the standard to just an overall approach to transparency. Any any thoughts? I mean, two 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 big ones come to mind. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that first party data means authenticated data. Um, and and while it can, um, from our position, unauthenticated data is equally as important. Um, yes, authenticated data has great consent. Hopefully, it has great efficacy, it has longevity, um, but it's also probably going to be very small in scale. Um, and I'm not even personally particularly bullish on, on how much uh, that might get legislated out of, of, of the ecosystem. Um, unauthenticated data, first party cookies and other components of unauthenticated have tons of efficacy, tons of scale. Um, and, uh, and if, if done with consent can be used in, in tons of ways for, for activation and monetization. So I think that's one thing that we always you know, publishers come to us and say, oh my gosh, we want to be in business with you. But we have 1% logged in users. And, and we always say, first of all, join the club. That's that's almost all publishers. So don't worry. And two, that's fine. Like the way we've built our technology, we're just as interested in, in, in unauthenticated. And we've built our systems to monetize outside of just those authenticated um, components. So that, that's one. Um, and then two, which is maybe a little more like ethereal or, or kumbaya, as you like to say, I know that's your favorite word, is that like, uh, I think I see a lot of publishers feeling like they're in competition with each other all the time. Um, and the truth is that the entire open web of available inventory is like 21% of spend, you know, like 
big tech, as we like to call it, you know, like, yeah, they've got a place in this ecosystem, but right now they're like 79% of this ecosystem. Um, and so sometimes I want to like shake the publishers and say like, no, your, your competitors are not each other. You are actually your partners. You are, you should be best friends. Where is your coalition working together on how we're going to get to the future and protect the open internet? Because there are a lot of pressures coming in and there's a lot of huge dollars lobbying in Congress. I know you guys were just in DC. We need to have that voice to understand like how can we do consumer friendly monetization for open web pubs because otherwise they're going to just cannibalize each other. Well, you hit on not only that, that 1% logged in authenticated audience. I, I always feel resistance from a lot of publishers and big publishers uh, as well in terms of they, always, they hit the, the scale issue. Right. They immediately hit like, oh, well, I'm never going to be big enough to go and sell these particular components. And I kind of feel like and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. Again, like this coalition concept, there are ways to address the scale issue. Some of it's about quality and some of it's about banding together and so forth. Right. But there's there's an aspect of like to not move because you're like, oh, we're not as big as Google or as Facebook. It's like you're not even not in the same game people like we got to come up with with the publisher game here and and again that that does perhaps re require some some cooperation where you might not necessarily think about those things uh is there anything on that particular front like you know again well shoot because i had two different questions for you so i'm going to stop for a second my first question is has some of the movement as it comes to unauthenticated audiences allowed smaller publishers to consider getting involved with a first party data strategy or is this is this a thing that only really the big guys can do that's a leading question Ron. um absolutely everyone should be in the first party data business from our perspective i mean our, our our like unofficial moniker seven years ago was like own your data own your future um i mean we really are believers just from an insights perspective um you, you should know who your audience is and and to be honest with a third party cookie deprecation those third party connections are going to give you very limited insight in the future anyway so I would be of the perspective that even if you're not going to use it for everyday activation, you want to know the scale of your audience. You want to understand endemic and non-endemic insights about them. It's it's critical. I mean, your audiences are spending maybe like if you're lucky, five to ten minutes a day in your in your universe, and probably another ten to fifteen hours, depending on who they are, doing a lot of other things on the internet. And so, you have to be able to deliver more value than just what's happening in those five minutes. Um, there's just there's just not going to be enough opportunity, uh, either through direct or programmatic, if you're just focused on that one impression that you can possibly get at, at that one moment they, they come by. So first party data is going to give you that opportunity to have a much broader view of what are your user, users doing on the Internet at large? being able to be parts of cohorts and coalitions that can monetize outside of your O&Os. Like, even if you decide ultimately that's not the direction you take, it gives you options to give you choices. If you're stuck without that visibility, um, from our perspective, then you're, you're really going to be hampered and, and you're really going to be just wagged by the dog with however the future uh, uh, unfolds, as opposed to being a little bit more of a, a controller of your own destiny. 
Yeah, it, it feels like one of the areas that, again, a publisher can decide, determine its own destiny, its own fate, if you start leaning in on these things. And I say that as we're in August, and I'm just sitting there thinking about Q4. Q4 is when a lot of people, you know, at, at the publisher level is just looking to reap whatever they can sow in terms of those Q4 dollars and budgets coming in and whatever. And they do a lot less strategic thinking. This doesn't apply to everyone, of course, right? But there's there's a lot that kind of almost shut shut down thinking about the next year until the next year actually arrives. And I feel, again, uh, you know, you can you can give me your predictions if you like. 2024 is obviously going to be one of the biggest years in terms of potentially how this plays out. I, I'm looking to you as to whether you want to pontificate as to to whether the third party cookie goes away or or how that plays out. What I'm more interested in, if, if you're there, is is there anything that you think that, again, publishers should be doing now or if you can't do it now, Jan 1, it's time to start getting moving on, on particular areas. I think what's been a real blocker is that DMP has been synonymous with high costs, no demand. And so I think there's a lot of reticence of, wait, that's great, Jake. You're talking about aggregating first party data because you want to sell me a DMP. And, and the truth is that that is not how Autogen operates. It's a, it's a much more of an, of an umbrella type system. So I think the first thing I just want to make clear is like, I'm not saying, oh yeah, first party data is important. Sign you up for a big $15,000 a month contract and then we'll see what happens. It's such a different mechanism by which the more forward thinking companies are working today. I see other companies that have similar models where like demand is a huge part of the offering. And so when I say gather first party data, I'm not saying it to like sell a contract, like that's a part of our business, but there's so much more value in not just the aggregation, but all of the insights and then how you can use those audiences across the web that um, you will be future-proofing your revenue. There's just there's just no doubt about it that in a, in a future scape, having your own data assets is, is critical. And as things move into next year, um, I think we're agnostic, which is an amazing place to be because third-party cookies have been a very comfortable place for us to monetize for years. Um, but we have our own identity solution that we had to build called Hadron ID that is not reliant on that and is having a lot of success. Um, we've gotten a lot of validation recently from, from other parties about how much visibility, uh, addressability, what we're doing with cookie-challenged environments. So we're kind of hedged for both. And I think that for the sake of privacy and the sake of consumer interests, a, a third-party cookie-less world is a better place to be, for sure. Um, but we don't get to make those decisions. So, you know, we're 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 rooting for a future regardless of like what does that mean for cookies, um, where consumers are happy with the kinds of privacy they can they can opt in or opt out of. We're not only following those consents, but actually like helping lead the charge around what does it mean to right now be passing all of this data around the ecosystem every day. We are moving very much toward uh, a new style of integrations where data is not being transferred to all of our partners, where we keep the data and do not allow it to be revealed or transferred. So I think that that future ecosystem is almost more of a technology play than, than anything else. When it comes to demand, we're gonna be fine either way, but certainly I think that we'd all be helped by, by looking at what does it mean to be in a in a privacy forward future? 
one of the concepts you hit there uh, to me, which I think is really important for publishers uh, to understand is that, that again, protecting your data and, you know, there's, there's an aspect of going in that particular direction that the data leakage that has been such a big part of our industry doesn't have to continue like that. That's one part of this whole potential sea change that can, can go away. And I look at it more along the lines of, you know, again, data clean rooms to other things. It's about data collaboration tools, right? It's just about sitting there going like, I would love to work with the buy side with my first party data. And thank you very much. It's going to stay right where it is. And I think that that's ultimately going to wind up creating some scenarios where you are future proofed, right? Because again, having again just come back from DC, I can tell you, it's really hard to say where these regulations are going to land. And don't think that once something comes out, it's done. Um, I mean, I think GDPR and some of the stuff that's going on over there is just going to evolve. And I think at some point, once they've decided they've got enough out of big tech, they're going to stop. <laughs> it may not be where the privacy hawks want. It may not be, it might be advantageous to us. It might not be, who knows? But there's an aspect of going like, you know, uh, you know, hedging, hedging for the future, I think is the only strategy is to sit there and make sure you don't put all your, you know, your eggs in one, one basket. I think that that's going to be it. Are they, are like from, from what you heard, like, are people talking about email addresses? Like, or is that something that is coming out of the mouths of Congress people saying like, are you guys using email addresses? And I don't know how, how I feel about that. Like, is that on, is that on the topic list? So one of the, one of the things that came out of DC, there was a, uh, the actual Congressman that we met um, from North Dakota, he actually spoke about email address. So, you know, email addresses and that, that particular thing. You know, the biggest, the biggest things that kind of came out of it, right, was preemptibility with the federal regulation overrule state state law. And the, the issue is, of course, we may have 51 versions of laws if the federal doesn't preempt some of the other pieces, but it's kind of hard to see how California is going to roll back anything, right? So there's some tough parts there. But to me, one of the biggest things that came up, and again, I think this goes to your point um, about this in terms of whether they're thinking about it, there's two pieces of legislation, one around privacy regulation and the other one about protecting kids online. And some of what we did as a group was bring the thing is, those two things aren't going to work very well. In other words, if you want me to make sure to protect kids so that they don't see advertising, I need to know that they're kids, <laughs> right? And so it's like, to be anonymous, I need to know who you are. And that's how the internet works. And so there's a piece of that that like, we just saw a lot of scribbling and some notes and whatever, and who knows if we'll have any impact, but we're, we're in on that. And I think what you're hitting, hitting at is, uh, is email going to be the currency? I think to, to me, I'm going to build out my identity solutions with that. But again, I'm not relying on that one, that, that small percentage. Last thing, just because you, again, you talked about hedging for the future and you talked about 2024, um, don't know if you're in a position to to share. I'm not looking for you to to get in trouble with your people, but like, Jake, got anything in the works? Anything uh, you're you're working on, or like, what's the next evolution of Autogen? Oh, always a lot in the works, and you know that's kind of one of the exciting things about growing is you have some more resources to to look at where where we can go. Um, look, I think that continuing to figure out how to use publishers footprints at large 
um, meaning both their data as well as their inventory is where we'll continue to go. We've had great success monetizing data. We're starting to monetize inventory in really interesting ways. Um, so you'll see more more audience extension products. We're we're seeing a lot of success there. More and more publishers that are leaning in that have great data but don't necessarily have a lot of inventory. Publishers in the gaming space where a lot of their audiences are like locked up in in walled gardens. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there to deliver into to buyers that that really want to access um, premium audiences in that way and and allowing publishers to monetize against CTV. I mean, a lot of publishers are just getting into video right at the time when now CTV is the next frontier. So um, our ability to say your audiences are super valuable. Let us help you translate the value of that into the buy side and be able to transact against connected television or programmatic audio or digital out of home. There's so many things that buyers are looking for that pubs don't necessarily play in that space in a pure play way. So like, again, how do we let the content creators at these publishers do the content creation, focus on the editorial work, focus on what does it mean to grow that brand and have that strong brand and build that direct business, and then let us help you really take the value of that audience to the ecosystem at large. And, and, and that has been what's been really super rewarding about my job is for every publisher, that looks different. We work with teeny publishers that need that. We work with massive publishers that need that. So it keeps me super engaged every day. 100%, it all, again, I, I feel like one of the reasons why I'm passionate about what I do is the content creators, right? Like for my work at golf.com, I'm helping people who like to write and talk about golf all day do that, right? They need funding to do that. And so I help do that. And I think a lot of other people do that. And again, a lot of people in our community kind of feel like that's our role is to is to get these content creators. Well, this has been great, Jake. I really appreciate the kind of the catch up. You know, next time maybe we can dive into whether Rainer Fassbinder or, or Werner Herzog, which is the better director, you know, we can dive into any of those discussions. If anyone wants our, our indie film take on it, I'd love to dive into that stuff or whatever but i kind of feel like it was good to kind of catch up and talk about this stuff and i think a lot of great things in terms of getting ready for what's coming ahead so thank you jake yeah uh, you're welcome thank you rob it's definitely herzog and um we can talk about that at some point. i you know what we're gonna have to now book that because i want to talk about fassbender okay so anyway uh, jake thank you so much for your time and uh thanks for joining Beelercast. rob Love it. Love your audience. Love your crew. Everything I've ever done that's been a part of Beeler has been hugely beneficial and educational and the publishers mean everything. Right back at you. Kumbaya.